Hello and welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy Wan Kenobi and with me is Samantha Organa. We are here to talk about the Star Wars movies. More Star Wars, more Star Wars. <laughs> you demanded it, you get it. Excellent. So today we are talking about episodes 4 through 6, the original trilogy in part 2 of our three-part all-Star Wars extravaganza. I'm clearly really excited. How are you doing, Sam? I'm extremely excited. You were literally yawning when, I said, when you said that. I'm just tired. Yeah, you can be excited and tired. I can. How are you? I am good because I am full of peanut butter cup. Yeah, you are. I had a delicious peanut butter cup right before this, and that's also what you want for your voice, right? Is to coat it in peanut butter. And chocolate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where I'm going wrong. Not enough peanut butter and chocolate in your life. Not enough. I need all of it in my life, please. You can have all of it. Okay, like 90% of it. Of the world's peanut butter supply? Yeah, and then the rest can go to everyone else. Even all of Brazil's peanut butter reserves? Yeah. Even all of Belgium's chocolate reserve? Yep. That's too much power for one person to have. Too much power. That is Sith talk right there. And uh, I won't have it. Oh. Peanut butter cups belong to the people. We don't talk Sith in this house? No. <laughs> Sorry. Although you can a little bit because only Sith deal in absolutes. So you may sometimes. <laughs> that phrase is pretty absolute in itself. Only the Sith deal in absolute. Yeah. That's a pretty absolute phrase, it's the Jedi. people. All right. Well, let's get right into the talk of these fantastic Star Wars movies, or at least that's what I think. We'll see what Sam thinks. So we are going to start off with... What is now called Episode 4, A New Hope, but when it came out, it was just called Star Wars. They didn't put in the Episode 4 stuff until later in re-releases because they didn't know there was going to be sequels. Oh, I didn't realize And they didn't know there was going to be prequels for sure either. Oh. So just Star Wars. Just Star Wars. So Star Wars, what was your relationship with this movie before watching it for this podcast? Um, I had watched it with my parents more than once. I've probably seen the Star Wars like these three films, like probably six times, six or seven times. I I enjoy them. I think they're really good. What about you? What was your first relationship with these films? I don't actually remember the first time I saw them, but I think it must have been my brother had the VHS set. You know that one that everyone had the three cassettes. Yeah, set my that parents have Vader that set. On the front, and <laughs> there's a stormtrooper one, a Yoda one, and a Vader one. Yes, and I think I watched those on my little 12 inch tv that i had and that was probably the first time i saw them because uh-huh. and i don't think it was until i was a little older maybe in junior high or maybe late elementary school but you still know everything like you know well, star such, wars there's such a cultural thing right like yeah. everyone knows luke i am your father and like it, it's just something that even if you haven't seen the movie or you've only seen it once there are these like quotes that everyone knows yeah it's so ubiquitous and you know what darth vader looks like and you know uh leia's hair and like you know what a wookiee is even if like you've only seen it once and it was like 10 years before what's a wookiee i like a big hairy monster (laughs) i like that description a big hairy monster but who's also really nice and compassionate they're not monsters i wouldn't call Chewie a wookiee if i mean a monster (laughs) (laughs) He is a Wookiee. He is a Wookiee. What a Wookiee. What a Wookiee. Like that song. 
Oh, what a wookie. Remember that? No. Oh, there's at least two Chewbacca songs that I know of. I did not know that. But yeah, uh, so I probably saw them a little later than a lot of kids. I knew them and then I was like, well, I should probably sit down and watch what this is all this fuss is about. And they were pretty great. And I've been a pretty big fan ever since. I think if you say you're a big Star Wars fan, that means a lot because people who take it seriously take it very seriously. And I'm not like one of those. I like Star Wars. It is very good. And we'll talk about why. Okay. I think this is like the one like nerdy sci-fi thing that I actually knew about growing up. I wasn't into sci-fi. I don't think I've watched more than like two episodes of Star Trek. Not into Lord of the Rings. It's just like very much accessible for like a person who isn't having like 15 years of sci-fi interest backstory yeah because they're great movies that happen to be in the sci-fi genre yeah yeah it's a good story if this was anywhere else it could it would translate and this this just happens to be aliens and spaceships and such yeah but you're not a big sci-fi person but don't you have isaac asimov's rules of robotics tattooed on your back i do not so let's talk about A New Hope. 1977 was the year. Woo. What a year. What a year. A lot of great filmmaking. Of course, I always talk about the 70s. It's my bit. But uh, <laughs> this was kind of the end of that era and the start of something new was really Star Wars and Rocky were the ones that were kind of bringing that about. Uh, this movie had the budget of, what was it, like 11 million or something. 11 million. $11 million, the same budget as Bring It On. Oh. But of course, in very different years. I feel like $11 million went way further in 1977. True, but for the amount of money that this thing made, for how great it looked, $11 million is crazy low. And that's shocking to me that it was that low. I mean, Mac and Me was $13 million. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that says everything. So you were a big fan going into this. How does it hold up? I think it holds up. Like, obviously, like any movie from decades ago, it's aged. And some of the stuff is like, you can tell that it's older. But I really enjoy the the kind of campiness of it. Because I don't think it looks outdated. I think it's just kind of fun. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Because... When you look at it, you can definitely tell it's not modern, but it doesn't look like a lot of movies do when their effects are just so far behind that it takes you out of things. Because the effects in this are great, especially for the time. I feel like they still hold up. But it is, yeah, it just has a fun look to it because it's not as maybe serious as a lot of things we get today are. Yeah, and like the prequels took themselves so seriously that it like took all the fun out of it. There was no fun in those prequels. I feel like George Lucas knew that like these were going to be outdated someday and so like to make up for that because obviously he knew that special effects were going to move forward and like they were going to be able to do all sorts of stuff with computers. So I feel like he made it kind of campy and fun just to make up for the fact that like in 20 or 30 years, this is going to be outdated and it's going to look old, but we want to continue watching it because it's so much fun. Hmm. I don't know if I give him so much credit that he (laughs) would think 30 years ahead. I think it looked great for the time and the the fun of it is just because of where the influences are and those space serials. And if you're making a movie about aliens and 
space travel, especially at this time when there wasn't mm-hmm. much of that, I think you have to be fun. I think if you played a deadly serious, you'd get what all of the DC movies have been for the last 10 years where you're like, yeah, I get that you're really serious about this man wearing tights, but it's not a serious thing. Have some fun with it. <laughs> tights are deadly serious. For you, they are. Uh, you talk about tights a lot. They're very, it's very important into your wardrobe. It is, especially ones that go all the way up to my rib cage. Yeah, the pants are too high these days, but we'll save that for our other podcast. My hips are down there, <laughs> Sam and Andy. My hips are down there. Why? What's the deal with high-waisted pants? I don't know. Well, You're like, so high-waisted now. High-waisted leggings, it's about the compression. Like they Yeah, but all good. pants are real high-waisted now. Like Now you look at 16-year-old girls and they're wearing mom jeans from 1989. <laughs> it's very bizarre to me. I find that they just fit better. All right. Well, save it for my hips are down there. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So back to A New Hope, I feel like if we talked about the making of these movies, or just of this one movie, that could be a 10-part series on its own. So we're going to avoid as much of that as we can. But just right off the top, a few things I wanted to say is that the original title for this one was The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of Wills, Saga 1, The Star Wars. like we improved it by just calling it star wars so i think i mentioned this a little bit in our talks of the prequel trilogy that george lucas could do whatever he wanted on those ones and not great results in both of our opinions on these ones he had a lot of ideas that got shot down that got changed that got moved around and i think this was a real movie by committee Because so many people like uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, people like that looked at the script and said, like, this is what you need to do. This is stupid. Cut it out. And then just things like budget constraints made them chop out big entire sequences that when you hear about them sound pretty shitty. So I'm glad that a lot of things got switched around. The money got in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It takes a lot from those Flash Gordons and uh, the works of Akira Kurosawa, who's one of my favorites. He's a Japanese director. And if you ever watch The Hidden Fortress, you'll be like, oh, it's Star Wars, but samurai. <laughs> oh. And I think you can see it in the things like Vader's helmet as well as samurai inspired. Yeah, I could see that for sure. And when this came out, it had very low expectations so it just came out of nowhere and was just a huge hit like no lead up or anything no because it's probably sounded pretty stupid to most people and really if you tell someone about this movie who has no context of what star wars is you say like oh yeah there's some space pirates and then one of them's an eight foot tall dog and then they (laughs) all he's not a dog you said he was a monster yeah but it sounds bad yes it does but it succeeds despite all of these things it really cobbles together a bunch of incongruous things like uh like it's a space opera there's cowboys and swords and operatic music it seems like really all over the place and then it somehow pulls it all together and is pretty great if i must say i really love the music from this just as like an aside I forgot how good it was. And then when we rewatched them, I was like, this is an incredible score. It really is. The the theme, it hits you right away. It does. And it encapsulates things so well. And I think, like I said last time, I jump every single time that first note goes. Yeah. That big, like, yeah.
and it's like I get scared even though I know it's coming. <laughs> Basically what I'm saying is I'm a giant baby. Well we knew that but also <laughs> Star Wars score very great iconic. So good. And I know when we were talking about Marvel movies how we can't really identify the themes because everything just goes for a real understated thing. Yeah. That is not what they were going for here. John Williams was trying to make iconic music. He wasn't trying to just underscore anything. He was telling you the story. You could probably listen to the score of Star Wars and you'd get a good idea of the story. Not the specifics, of course, but you can get an idea of the beats, the emotions, and everything like yeah, that just by listening to it. the feeling. Like in um, Leia and Harrison Ford's kind of love theme. Mm-hmm. Like, you really, like, even if you weren't watching the movie, which I've heard you listening to it just in the house, and it's very much, like, evokes a feeling of that, that relationship and that closeness and that, like, almost longing that they have for each other. And it's it's really amazing how he managed to make that come out in the movie, just in the music, without the movie behind it. Yeah, and we always hear the the main theme, because that's like the big thing, but we kind of forget about how effective parts like that are, or the binary stars scene where yeah. Luke is looking out and seeing the two suns setting. The music at that point is, is beautiful. It's some of my favorite stuff, yeah. and that scene is just such a good one. It kind of gives you all of that longing. You know exactly what this character wants. You know how in every Disney animated movie they have that their I Wish song? Yes. Where they, they sing about what they want. It's right in the first act or at the end of the first act. And that is the I Wish sequence for this. This is his Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Absolutely. He's looking out over the, those suns and just wishing to be somewhere else. And it comes through. He doesn't have to say anything. It's such a, such a well-done scene. And things like that, I think, we forget about and take for granted because Star Wars is so so big yes so ubiquitous it's it's hard to appreciate it as a movie because it's so much more than that to us i think this is like maybe the biggest movie to talk about ever yeah and we're not even going to really try we're just going to do little bits on it because you can we can what do... new could we say well and yeah we could do nine episodes on star wars because we could literally spend an hour and a half talking about every single movie so let's try to pretend we're watching this for the first time what <laughs> strikes you when this movie starts up. Probably the fact that it's on some foreign planet and like the really big, um, there's a lot of like big sweeping scenes to make it look really desolate as they like zoom in on the homestead where Luke lives. And mm -hmm. it's really, it's really cool to kind of set the scene that way because you realize that like they haven't built another earth. There are humans living on various planets, but it's not like earth where we have like most of the planet is populated and you can go to big bustling cities and stuff. There's like little forts and bases and stuff, but it's not anything like a whole other earth. As soon as this movie started, because we had watched the prequels, this is just so much more engaging right off the beginning. Because you get your rebels, you get your empire, you have a princess, you have these cool costumes, and you're just in it right away. Yeah. I forget how fun this movie is. It's super fun. I know everyone watches and goes, yeah, I love Star Wars. It's one of the best movies. But when was the last time you watched it? Sit down and just watch it and have fun. It's mm -hmm. such a good time. And that's something that's hard to really critique to explain why. 
Like, I don't know what it is that makes this movie more fun than the other ones. Yeah, I, don't I know. could tell you about the the archetypes and the good and bad people are all in black and whites, and then the rebels are in earth tones, and like how that's fun, and and the hero's journey and all of that, which is great. But I can't explain why these movies are so fun. So one thing that I really liked watching this in the sequence that we did because we watched the prequels, and I hadn't seen two of the prequels until now, um, was how much kind of more sense the movie made because I had some backstory for it. Oh, did you feel like there's parts in A New Hope that didn't really make sense in the past and now they get explained? It's not that they didn't make sense. It's just that I never really read into them. Okay, like what? Um, Well, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's it's just, you know, the crazy old neighbor when you first see it and you haven't seen the prequels. And then it's just, you know, oh, I know someone with the last name Kenobi. Like... Oh, it's this guy. It's this old hermit. And up until then, you don't really realize why he's a hermit or what his whole story is. And I didn't really ever consider that he like had a more interesting story until you learn more about him later in the movie. So I thought that was really cool to be able to kind of pick up on that story right from the beginning and um, who his aunt and his uncle are and like how they fit into Luke's story and why Luke is on that planet. And there were things that I kind of just glossed over and never really looked for like a a why to because there was nothing to really explain it to me. And, you know, there were other things that I could read into a little bit more than those things. Yeah, I agree. I might push back a little bit on thinking that I kind of feel like nothing in this movie required more explanation. No. Like, it's cool to have those stories, but when I watched it, there was never a point where I was going like, oh, I don't get this. I wish they would have explained it. Everything just kind of, that's how it is. And you're like, okay, yeah, the force, I'm with you. Yeah. And because they don't explain things, maybe they just say it as like, yeah, take this for granted. This is how it is. It kind of works on me that I stop questioning little things about it. And I go, yep, that's the world. All right, I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. But I, I think it enhanced it a little bit more for me, having seen the prequels now. Cool. Yeah. I like the characters in this movie so much more than anything in the prequels. Oh, 100%. They're all people who could exist in our world or in any other world. They just wouldn't be firing blasters and have lightsabers yeah. but the way they interact seems of our time or any other time yes they're like normal humans or humans interacting with droids <laughs> you know like it happens here like c-3po is a more developed character than most of the prequel characters absolutely absolutely which is sad he has more of a personality too he does yeah he has a personality more of a personality Anakin than never like- did Padme, yeah, Padme or Anakin, neither of them have enough of a personality to really round out the character. And I love how lived in this world looks. It's not all clean and CG like the prequels were. And it's separate from a lot of sci-fi movies in that it's not this super clean, austere, sterile future. It's lived in, it's dirty, and everything seems to have some weight and gravity to it. Like all the props feel like actual things. Yes. And things that have been around and salvaged and like that have been pieced together from other things. Nothing looks new. And I like that when they do have a bunch of silly characters that are not all mugging for the camera like they are in the prequels. Yep. Except when it's added in. Those are still oh. annoying to me. 
those little add-ins. They never add anything. No. I get that you want to clean up some effects. Sure. I don't feel like you should because the movie exists on its own and it's of that time and that's fine. We all understand it's of a different time. Mm-hmm. But, but when we you don't s- need a dance sequence. Oh, that's the one I think in uh, in Empire. Right. Oh, no, in Return of the Jedi. Yes, Sorry. yeah. yeah. But... Old. Just speaking about things that he added in, like, what is the point of that? There's all these funny little animals falling off of things in cutscenes. Because I think George Lucas just loves slapstick. Ew. He thinks it's funny, and it's not. So those, yeah, are annoying, but you can forgive them because there's so much other good stuff going on. I also love the explanation of the Force here. It's not microorganisms it's this unknowable link between everyone and it's just so much more poetic how they talk about it here and it makes it mysterious and something that you want to know more about but when it's like oh yeah we tested your blood you got it where's the fun in that true very true i think um the like mysteriousness of the force really comes through in this and like they do some explaining but at the same time they don't explain it to death like they do in some newer movies when they're kind of pandering to dumber audiences. Mm -hmm. It's like this mystical, magical thing that gets kind of explained little by little, and you're kind of left to make your own decision on what the Force is. Yeah, I love how this movie, about the Force and about so many other things, they tell you very little, and they're just kind of hoping like, well, just don't ask any questions, okay? Hey, it's the Force, got it? All right, move it (laughs) on. And it's kind of like tricking us into... By not explaining anything that we won't ask questions. But I think it's super effective because it's just saying, yeah, that's what this world is. We have the force. Deal with it. Deal with it. We're here. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> How do people in this world not believe in the force? If you see like your boss choking somebody by thinking of it, why wouldn't you be like, oh, shit, this religion's real. I better get to studying. Right? Or like little kids aspiring to use the force. Yeah. Like you play... Like magic and, you know, wizards and that kind of thing. Wouldn't kids be like super into the idea of the force and be playing that like at school or wherever kids go? It's like, <laughs> wherever kids go. <laughs> wherever yeah. kids go. Um, like, wouldn't that be something like cool to play like race cars? Yeah, I'd be playing Jedi every day. Yeah. Like, we do play Jedi every day. <laughs> and it's not even a thing that exists in this universe. So if I thought that there's the potential of me actually doing that in real life of course i'd be doing it all the time but no most people they're like oh this stupid old religion is like well you just saw it work Mm -hmm. how do you not believe in it that was one thing from the prequels that was explained to me that i always wondered about was how are there not more people like it's probably the wrong word but like auditioning to be a jedi right like how are there not more people being like do i have the mind power do i have the ability to access the force like why wouldn't that still be really popular i don't know i'd be a jedi if i could wouldn't you yeah that's what my census information says jedi yep oh no actually i think i put in united church of hepburn because (laughs) i'm a big uh audrey hepburn fan nice it's funny i have notes on the first 20 minutes of the movie and then i just started watching it and i was like oh this is just better i'm not gonna take any i'm pretty sure i have yeah like the first 20 minutes of the movie and then i just got sucked in and like stopped taking notes because the last thing i wrote down is two minutes of han solo we've learned more than an entire movie of qui-gon jinn which is true in those two minutes you're set up for this uh this space scoundrel but he's so lovable i got 
so sucked into the movie that I didn't want to continue like trying to write things down because it would take me out of the like the world. So I, I took no notes. But I've seen it enough times that I feel like I can confidently talk about it. I kind of forget how easily Obi-Wan dies in this. That must have been crazy to see if you're a kid going to see this movie and then you're like, oh yeah, and he's going to be the teacher and he's going to teach him. And then he dies? The villain kills him? That must have blown your mind if you were a little kid watching this in 77. I totally forgot how quickly he dies in the movie. I thought he was in the next two for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought he was in this one and then the Empire Strikes Back as well. Well, he kind of is. He's a ghost, though. Yeah, but I thought he was in it a little bit more. Yeah. It definitely feels like Luke is way underprepared for what he ends up doing. Yes, definitely. I think overall, this was a really nice intro to the whole Star Wars world. I can see why this became such a huge hit. It's because it really sucks you in and explains a lot without feeling like you're being explained to. And I felt like I immediately understood the world, even though there's all these creatures that you don't recognize and things that you don't really understand how they work. You kind of just are inserted into this world and the way they, they kind of treat it, it just makes sense to you. And maybe that is because it's a little bit more like what we're used to, like Earth. It's such smart and efficient storytelling. And I think we forget about that. We think of the all the cool visuals and stuff like that. But it's such a great story. I feel like the characters are better developed than anything we see in the prequels. What do you think of the acting? I like it. I think, I think they're better actors than the people in the prequels. True. Like the way that they act in the prequels. I know there are some very good actors in the prequels. But they just weren't doing good work there. They were just not acting well there. So, um, and I I really think that everyone really fits their role. It wasn't as much of like, oh, this person is really famous right now. Let's put them in a movie. I think that everyone who's in this movie is really well suited for who they are. Yeah, for the longest time, I always gave Mark Hamill a hard time saying like, yeah, he's not great because he has some really whiny and annoying lines. But then watching through the trilogy is like, you know what? I appreciate his growth. I actually do like him. I he think does change, yeah. He's one of the weaker actors, perhaps. Yeah. But I think he's fine. He's not like Hayden Christianing it up like Anakin. He oh, was a... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I'm Anakin. He was more whiny and annoying than Luke's power converters line, which is very whiny and annoying. But this movie is, for the longest time, it was my favorite of all the Star Wars movies. Yeah. I thought A New Hope is the best one because it's it's self-contained. It relies on all these great archetypes. It's just, it draws on things that we all know, even if we don't know we know it. Right. It relies on a lot of visual things that if we see that, we know what kind of person this is and it's simplistic, sure, but it's drawing on just a wealth of history, and I think that's where its genius comes from a lot of the time. If I were to start teaching a high school level film studies class, this would be my introductory movie. Really? You can take things from this and just introduce the idea of semiotics, the idea of what things can represent visually and how they reflect on characters on story on setting 
everything is really straightforward in this movie. It doesn't have a lot of complexity in that, but it does it all so well. I think it's, yeah, it's it's a brilliant movie. Huh. Interesting. I would not have thought of this as like a, a film that you could study for like a class. Oh, definitely. I think it is, yeah, an introductory one because it's setting all those things up. It's not really playing with the conventions, right. but it's establishing those conventions. Yeah. But I think this is the first movie that people started using the phrase of oh, ruined by childhood. <sighs> I hate that argument so much. Something that happens now doesn't go back and ruin something you experienced. You no. experienced that. And you loved it then. But how it was applied to A New Hope is when they started redoing all those things. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of effectively changing something from your childhood. So True. in this case, it's, it's the most valid, but it's still a stupid thing to say. It is a very stupid thing to say. Especially when people say it in the new movies. They're like, well, this movie's different than what I grew up with. So now I'm angry. I hope it's different because that means that filmmaking has like changed and special effects have gotten better. Yeah, but then we're going to watch the first one of the new trilogy and be like, oh, yeah, it is the same. Huh. <laughs> but that'll be next week. Next week when we talk about 789. Is that why the other numbers were scared of seven? What? I think I don't know what more we can say about A New Hope because not that there isn't more to say, but... I feel like if we keep going, I'm just going to do an hour and a half on that easily. Yeah, we need to keep things going. Let's move on to The Empire Strikes Back. So this is 1980 release. It had a budget of how much? I feel like you had all that stuff up. 33 million. 33 million. We got a lot of more, a lot more money. So one interesting thing I know about this is that was largely George Lucas's own money. Oh, really? He actually did not get a lot of studio money for some reason, but he bet on himself. He said, this is huge. Look how well the first one did. This is going to be even bigger. It wasn't actually bigger as far as box office goes, I'm pretty sure, but it's still giant. So it was about 30-some million. Gerald's Game is a $35 million movie. Oh, that's right. That yeah. all takes place in one room. Uh, Rent was somehow $40 million. And your favorite, Bride Wars, is at $30 million. Wow. Of course, a different era, but... Very different. I feel like the $33 million of Star Wars is going a lot further than that $30 million of Bride Wars did. So what was your relationship with this movie before? This was one that I was not quite as into. I feel like it's like the middle one that connects to the first one and the last one, which I think were my favorites. It continued the story, which I appreciated. Um, there's more Yoda in this one. Oh, yeah. We get the appearance of Yoda. Yoda. Um, I always found Yoda, like, really delightful to watch. And I think that's my favorite part of this movie is, like, Yoda and Luke getting so frustrated with him um, as he tries to teach him lessons. I also really like how uh, Princess Leia's character kind of changes throughout the movie like she goes on kind of a growth so what what about you indy what how do you feel about this one so before this viewing i always thought this was my second favorite one it's the most popular i would think really? of people that i talk to the most this seems to be everyone's favorite and i was like yeah it's good but i loved a new hope because it was the most self-contained and really i didn't separate them all that much because as a kid like, we were born after all of them were out already. Right. So, so they're you'd always, sit down and you'd watch all three. It's Star Wars. Yeah. It's all of them, right? I think this is another one that benefited a lot from having all these other people around. 
Because if you look at early drafts, there were so many rewrites of Star Wars. Uh, for a while, Luke was a teenage girl. I think Han Solo was a giant bat type creature. Like, I don't think any of that's true. Yes. What? Yeah, for sure, for sure. What? This movie was rewritten so many times because George Lucas had this idea for for years before it was ever made. And all of his friends were those was that filmmaking generation, like the first generation of kind of film school people. Right. And who I always talk about when we're talking about like um, Scorsese and Coppola and all of that, right. Brian De Palma. And Spielberg, of course, was a was a friend, too. So because of all of these influences and because of all the time between conception and it actually being on film, there were so many rewrites and it was for the best. I don't feel like Phantom Menace went through years and years of rewrites. <laughs> no, it should have. Yeah. It should have. And then they should have just eventually scrapped it. But I uh, I can see how fine-tuned it is. Like, I can appreciate how fine-tuned mm-hmm. it ended up becoming. It really is. I think that's a really good way of describing these movies, especially the first one, is everything that's unnecessary has been stripped away and it's just what you need and it gets to the point very quickly. Those movies fly. They're longer than I think they are because they all feel like they're 90 minutes. They do, actually. There is a certain... um, Well, like we said, we didn't take notes during these because they're so engaging and they really suck you in and then it does. It feels like it's been an hour and a half and it's actually been like more than two. So first of all, when the movie starts, I love how they fill in that time gap. So you get to learn about what's been going on since we last saw these characters. And the way it's done is uh, it's really cool. Like how we have the conversation with Han and Leia. We see that Luke has been practicing. So now he has those force powers because we get uh, him being attacked by the, the Wampa. And then he's in the ice cave and now he has force powers, which is new, right? Yeah. So all of that was so exciting. And it's really again effective and efficient it shows you what's been going on in these couple years between the two movies in the first 15 minutes of this one yeah i appreciate that there isn't a huge recap or um a character going well you know in the last three years when we've been doing this since the end of the last movie which i feel i like your recap voice thank you well you know well you know um i feel like that's something that's used a little bit more today where there's like a recap and it's like are we that dumb do we not get like the nuances and we can understand how long it's been yeah sometimes you'll have people sitting around and re like literally yes. recapping end game and they're telling you about how they've been dealing with things for the last little while it's like rather than just showing three years ago when yeah. we did this well since then you know we've been doing this and i'm trying to make it natural by talking to you about it you just have han and leia had this little back and forth and you know like oh they've been hooking up since then <laughs> but things aren't going 100 percent great yeah it's more delicately put um than the fact that someone walks through the scene and goes Hey, so you guys still hooking up? (laughs) (laughs) Again, like how the mythology is handled in the first movie. In this movie, they just put something out there and you just take it for the truth. They don't need to explain things. Absolutely. Should we talk about your favorite, Yoda? I do love Yoda. Let's talk about Yoda. Did you know that their first version of Yoda, they just had that mask and they just put it on a monkey? What? And they were just going to do a voiceover on top of that. No. 
Yeah, that's true. There's pictures of it. It's creepy. That's too creepy. It it was very creepy. And again, because this was a film by committee about a lot of people learning, someone was like, yeah, that's not a great idea. And they didn't do it. (laughs) Good. So instead, he went to Henson and said, hey, can you do a Yoda? And he's like, no, I'm busy. I'm like Mr. Muppet. I don't have time for that. But you should talk to my good buddy, Frank Oz. And then Frank Oz did it. And that's why you can still hear so much uh, Miss Piggy in Yoda's voice. (laughs) They're the same actor yeah oh. same puppeteer frank oz i think he does grover as well and grover Cookie crossed Monster with miss piggy is yoda, is yoda yeah. yeah yeah he's miss piggy Fozzie bear animal cookie monster bert and grover yeah and yoda and yoda that's awesome i didn't realize that there was such a connection between all of those guys but yes you're right it's grover and miss piggy yeah yeah, once you realize that, you can't not hear no, it. No, I can't. I, I can hear Yoda's voice in my head right now. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. You know what I forgot? Yoda's funny. Like, legitimately funny. He I laughed funny. so much in this. He is funny. And uh, it's like in kids' movies where there's always, like, a few jokes for the adults. Because, you know, there's, like, adults who are taking their kids to the movies. This is one of those ones where, like, I don't think I got how funny Yoda was when I was younger and watching this. Yeah, and it's not like he has, like, adult humor or anything. It's just he's really funny. And I think when you're a kid, you're just happy to see this little puppet guy up there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really appreciated his, like, subtle funniness and how he isn't, like, setting up jokes and then, like waiting for the laughter after yeah he's just eating luke's space snacks yeah he's just... i always wanted to eat those space snacks they look good he's so cute like i just want to give yoda a hug yeah yeah and he's so much more fun in this than he is in the prequels because he's silly like and i also forgot that Yoda's doing a bit like he's pretending to be crazy and he's pretending to be annoying as much as he can yes. to test luke yeah and then when we get the reveal that Yoda is the Jedi Master that he's looking for, and Yoda just talks to Obi-Wan, who's not there, and we can't see him, and he's deadpan, and he's like, no, he's not ready. And the fact that Yoda's talking to the Force and not to Luke, it's such a great choice. Like, he could have reprimanded Luke, and that would have been a more obvious choice of like no you're not ready for this yeah but to have him just dismiss luke and say no this isn't he's not ready for me it was really well done and i loved yoda's turn to go from his silliness to his seriousness yeah and um how luke doesn't realize like i forgot that luke doesn't know that yoda is like yoda yoda yeah because we all know because yoda's bigger than the movie right? yes he is um i Love that he just, like, fucks with him a little bit. So much. Because, like, Yoda's yeah. in exile. Like, he's he's hidden himself away into this swamp. And he's like, I'm just going to have some fun with this kid. Like, <laughs> why not? I'm sure Yoda doesn't have a whole lot going on in his life living in a swamp. So, like, he gets to have a little fun. And then he does his job as well. And then Luke becomes a Jedi. But he gets to, he gets to like, goof off a little bit, which I, like... Yeah, he's testing his patience, because if you're impatient, that's a gateway to the dark side. It is. remember who was impatient. Darth Vader. Yeah, Anakin all the time. Make me a master. I'm Anakin. I like that 
that Anakin voice. I was doing your Anakin voice from just a few moments ago. That's what I was going for. <laughs> true, true. And that whole sequence on Dagobah, it's, I forgot how good it was. Yeah. I love the mysticism surrounding the forest. I love that cave metaphor where he goes into the cave and then he sees Darth Vader in there and he like cracks his head open with a lightsaber and then Luke's inside. Yeah. I didn't get that as a kid. No? No, because I was like, why is Luke in there? Like, right. You don't really get the symbolism of that he's overcoming himself and he and Vader are linked and he could go down the path of Vader. You don't get that as a kid. You're just like, why is Luke in there? That doesn't make sense. That's true. That's is actually... Luke Darth Vader? No, he's not because they fought. Oh, well. And then I move on. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I really like Dagobah because it's so unpredictable. Like, there's... like Florida. Like Florida, yes. And it looks like it and it's unpredictable like it. Um, I liked how the ground is sometimes water, sometimes flat under the steam or like the fog that is everywhere. And there's creatures, but none of them really attack you. So you never really know what's going on in the like the outer scene. And then when Yoda lifts the X-Wing... Yeah. After the prequels, things like that happen all the time. But in this movie, you hadn't seen anything like that. And I forgot how amazing, like truly amazing it is when we see Yoda do that. And you get to, that's the first time you really know the power of the Force. Yeah. And that's so cool. Um, to, I remember seeing that as a kid and being awed. And you're right. In the newer movies, in like the next three that we'll watch, you... Everyone's kind of fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's not just some people who have special powers. It's everyone. And so you kind of lose that specialness. But we will talk about that next week. <laughs> and I love when Luke sees that. He says something like, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, yes, and that's why you fail. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yoda dropping the truth bombs. Truth bombs. I love Yoda. I kind of forgot that Yoda's a good character because like all of these characters, they're so much bigger than the movie. You forget that Yoda's not on screen for very long. And when he, he is, is, he's fantastic. Not. I almost feel like there was too much serious Yoda in the prequels. Because he's all serious. He's all serious. He's he's like a master and he's, he's very, very serious. And you lose that like witty kind of funny banter that he does in this movie. And I think I often complain about other movies where there's a young protagonist who has some sort of magical ability and then they can just do everything well. But I'm much more forgiving of this movie because, like, it's just a good movie, so you can forgive a little more. But then also, we actually get to see Luke fail. Like, he has these trials and he's trained, but he fails. Yes. And even when he's training, he's dropping things. And he leaves his training early and to go to have that encounter with Vader. And when he's there, he's been told, he's been taught to, to be calm, to be at peace. But he's not. He attacks first. Yeah. And that's when Vader knows, like, no, I, I have him. And Vader just toys with him through yeah. that whole fight. It's not an Vader is never really trying until the end. And I really did enjoy Vader trying to convince him to join him. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that part too of like, well, let's overthrow the emperor and let's rule the universe as father and son. That's so cool too. And I'd forgotten all about that. And I feel like either plot would have been a really good third movie. Oh, yes. But yeah, because of 
his failures. And ultimately, at the end of this movie, he has failed. Luke hasn't won. He doesn't go and defeat Vader. He loses. He gets his hand chopped off and is only saved by the Millennium Falcon picking him off that antenna, right? Yeah. So I think that's why I'm much more forgiving about Luke's story in this than I am in a lot of other movies where some young magic person can just do everything instantly. So one thing that I totally forgot about um, and was really confused by in the next movies when we saw them, uh, like in the seven, eight, and nine, um, was talking about some of the um, the like side characters, like Lando. Lando. Totally forgot about Lando. You forgot about Lando? I had Billy D. No idea who oh. Lando was, and um, who plays Lando in the newer movies? Donald Glover, Donald Childish Glover. Gambino. Right. So I was excited because I really I like Donald Glover as an actor, and I was like, oh, this character Lando, like. Don't remember who he is. Really? So I went into the newer movies kind of forgetting that Lando was like a huge part of like the next two movies. Yeah, Lando's big time. So I... Billy D. Williams was actually one of the few people who was like a star before the movie. So I, again, like I said, I enjoyed learning about... Um, obi-wan in the prequels i enjoyed getting that backstory back again about lando because he made so much more sense in the newer movies in solo in solo yeah which was not a great movie no but But i like donald glover he was good he was great and there's talk of him getting a lando movie i i would watch that i would watch that yeah he was cool i um there was like a, a few things like that where I was like, "Oh yeah, that like that makes so much more sense now because I totally remember where this comes from." Another scene that I really loved is right before Han is going to be frozen in carbonite. So I love that Chewie goes nuts and Han has to come like calm him down. Yeah, I love the friendship. Yeah, I think we don't always remember that that. Chewbacca is a pretty fleshed out character. Yeah. yeah, sure, he's one note, but you can definitely feel the, the friendship. And then, of course, that is later followed with one of my favorite lines. I love you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I think you cheered when that happened. Yeah, I, I also think how I used to think of that is... She loves him, and he's like a badass dude. And now that's not what I take away no. from it at all. I take away that she loves him, and him saying I know is not like him being full of himself, which he absolutely is, and yeah. that's who he is. That's his character. But that's him saying, like, I know, I've always known, and we both know what we have. Yeah, like, we're so in love that we don't, like, need that's how to I took say it, it. Yeah. And, like, we don't really have time, so, like, I know. <laughs> Yeah, and I love when it comes back later in the next one. When yes, she's, when she says it. Yeah. yeah, that was one of my favorite like callbacks to this movie was in the next movie in Return of the Jedi when she says, I know. And we didn't even talk about the whole Battle of Hoth that's in this. It's just amazing. It looks great today still. It does still. look great. That was one because there are some battles, like admittedly there are some battles in these movies that just don't look good anymore or like don't look as like they look dated and i think that the battle of hoth is one that's really aged well 
it's probably my favorite action sequence mm-hmm. of of the whole trilogy. You were very excited when we started watching it. Yeah, we turned it on. I was like, "Oh shit, ha!" Huh? <laughs> I got really excited. <laughs> you wanted for me it. to come like sit on the couch next to you <laughs> when oh, we were watching. You were like off to the side doing your nails, and I was like, "No, no, you have to sit down and watch Hoth. <laughs> yeah. You can't just like look at the corner of your eye for this one. You have to watch Hoth, especially since we live in Hoth. We do live in Hoth, and it was Hoth when we were watching that. <laughs> it was extremely Hoth. That's how I'm going to start describing the weather in Edmonton more often. Oh, it's pretty hot out there today. Actually, I think I already do that. You do. And speaking of hot, we got to see those sweet AT-ATs, or AT-ATs, as some people call them. Those big giant walkers. Oh, yeah. Those are There's so fun, cool huh? There's cool bots in this one. Like, so cool. Big robot things that are like, they look like animals. Yeah. But they, they don't act like animals. <laughs> That's the best description of them I've ever heard. <laughs> they look like animals, but they don't act like animals. <laughs> I think that's my favorite uh, robot or vehicle in the whole trilogy as well. Those AT-ATs are the really? coolest. Yeah, they're so cool. They're so giant. And the idea of making them walk instead of being on wheels, it's a terrible idea. And I love it. And it's so cool when they take them down by using the the tethers and flying around them. Yeah, that's neat. That because like they're not the most sophisticated animal, or not animals, they're not the most sophisticated robots for sure. And it would make sense that something like that would be able to bring them down, like in the real world. Mm. Like if you took something out at the knees, you'd very much get them onto the ground, and then they'd explode. Yeah, I love that this world they kind of forego tracks and wheels they're like let's just give it legs why not we have legs it works for us so let's just give our vehicles legs as well (laughs) and it's another one of those objects in this world that you kind of feel the weight of the props in this trilogy are amazing yes all of the set dressing is really amazing in this movie because we often compare them to the marvel movies because that's kind of the biggest series we have today but there are very few things in the Marvel movies where I'm just like, oh, I just want to hold that. I just want to touch yes. it. And you get that all the time in these movies. Like the lightsaber? Who doesn't mm. want to grab a lightsaber? It just looks so satisfying to hold in your hand. Yeah, they, they they seem very ergonomically like designed for your hand. And I just want to hold one. Yeah. Are they cold? Are they hot? Who oh. knows? I wonder if they heat up. I would imagine they would. Yeah, because you have all that heat coming out the one end. Yeah, they can set things on fire by, like, touching them. But when it's, because you got your kyber crystal in there and they're shooting out that way, maybe all the heat goes that way. I wonder if there's any heat in the hilt. And also the sounds. Yes. There's so many iconic sounds in this trilogy. Like the sound of the lightsaber. The lightsaber. If you ask anyone what a lightsaber sounds like, they'll tell you. Yeah. People who haven't even seen the movies could probably tell you. Even just the sound of it turning on. Yep. Or activating? I don't know. I feel like turning on your lightsaber isn't quite cool enough way to put it. I think you turn it on. Okay. Starting it up. Yeah, when you start up your lightsaber. <laughs> when you boot up your lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. When you press start on your lightsaber. Um, that sound is so iconic. Like, if you weren't... If you didn't have the visuals to go along with the movie, you could totally say, like, oh... Darth Vader just started his lightsaber. And Darth Vader. What's Darth Vader's sound like? Yeah, he's breathing. 
<laughs> yeah, he's breathing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's something that everyone knows as well. Yeah. The TIE fighter might be my favorite sound. Oh, that like high-pitched whine? It's a lower one. It almost sounds like an animal. And I think this is one of the ones where they used either like a gorilla or a lion roar mixed in with machinery to make oh, that sound. Interesting. All the sound effects, there's great stories of how yeah, they all came about too. For but sure. That'll be for our other podcast. Sound How's it sound? <laughs> oh, yeah. Starting up that lightsaber. <laughs> so what about those Marvel movies? What does uh, Captain America's shield sound like? Does it have a sound? I don't know. What does that Iron Man suit sound like? Oh, I guess there's that one like when blast with the hands we can hear. Or what's like Hulk sound like? <laughs> yes, maybe. I don't know. He's so mad. Yeah, he's, he's so, so mad. mad all the time. <laughs> But not all the time, because a lot of the time he's wearing glasses and sweater vests, and he's like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? I'm just green. No big deal. Anyways, we'll save all of that for our Marvel podcast. <laughs> We've already done it's our Marvel called podcast. called Nuff Said, the Marvel podcast. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the sounds, amazing. Yes. And I think Empire Strikes Back is the first time we actually get that Imperial March. I don't think it's in the first one. No? Maybe not. Someone out there will correct me. Either way, whether it's in there or not, it is great. We definitely get it in this movie. And I feel like we could just use the word iconic to describe everything, but that Imperial March, iconic. This is, you're correct, this is the first movie that the Imperial March appears in. And isn't it awesome? It is awesome. Again, I think we're at the point where we could talk about it for another three hours, but maybe let's wrap up our quick little review. How do you end up on The Empire Strikes Back? I'd say it's my third favorite of the original three. I, like, understand why it exists, and I appreciate that it gives us more information about characters that become really important in the next movie, but I feel like it doesn't quite have as much going for it as uh, the first one and the next one. What about you? I disagree wholeheartedly. (laughs) So always the first one has been my favorite movie since the first time I saw it. My favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah. Since I saw it first until last week. And then we watched them again. I think I'm on the majority side now. And I think Empire Strikes Back is the best one. You're on Team Empire. It is so good. While I still love the first one and how it's the self-contained thing and it's archetypal and it's brilliant... Empire Strikes Back is what gives this trilogy its mythic standing. What takes it from being good movies to being ubiquitous pop culture phenomenon that it is now. Right. It's the one that takes the trilogy beyond what you get from the prequels, what you get from Marvel movies, because it's the one that touches something in you. Like, touches your heart. I don't know how you want to describe it, but it's the one that creates a mythology that is larger than its own film or the trilogy as a whole Mm -hmm. it both harkens back to the first one and leads beautifully into the third and you know i'm a sucker for sad endings and this one is a sad ending like it ends in a really dark place the hero is defeated the team is broken hans in carbonite you don't know what's going to happen yet and after the first one you think like yeah we're on the upswing 
And to have them get knocked down like this, that's such a brilliant and risky choice. And I uh, admire it. So I think Empire Strikes Back, my favorite Star Wars movie. Wow. Okay. I think it's like a near perfect movie. It's brilliant. (laughs) Perfection in film. Yeah. Not uh, Not a thing I hear often from you. Well, maybe when we were talking about The Shining. Yes, you you did say that. <laughs> and it must have been so hard for audiences to end with that and then not get something wrapped up until three years later. So let's jump ahead now. 1983 and Return of the Jedi. The Returning of the Jedi. Yeah, the annual, annual Returning of the Jedi. Yes. Um, How did you feel about this one before seeing it again? I was excited to see this one um, because it does, because the trilogy feels like one giant movie, mm-hmm. right? So I was excited to see the ending of it. I was excited to see Han get unfrozen. I was excited to see um, their kind of love story develop. And I was really excited to see the dynamic between Luke and Leia again. Yes. I felt like this is like the big finale. It was like the last third of this six-hour movie. <laughs> and I think it was um, – I was excited to go into this one for sure. What were your thoughts going into this one? I feel like I knew the least about this one as a standalone movie because I always just took it as the end to the trilogy and I didn't really look at it critically as its own movie a lot because it's just – it's the ending. That's what it is. Right. I had remembered a bunch of pieces of it, like them with the speeders in the forest of Endor. That yes, one, that part, still very ugh, cool. Ewoks are my favorite. And I remembered the Ewoks. And actually, one of the first things I remember really scaring me as a kid was at the end when we get to see Darth Vader and he's kind of all sickly underneath yeah. that. I remember that very well, and it scared me as a little kid. Were you disappointed? Um, that he's not all sickly in the Jedi kind of ghost area. Oh, the Force ghost. It's since been replaced with Hayden Christensen. So that's what we saw. And yeah, that's weird that it's... Why does he go back to being a boy? Yeah, because like Yoda and Obi-Wan are the age that they were when they died. Yeah, he should be too. Is it because that's the age that he stopped being a Jedi? Oh, maybe. You know what? You might be onto something. Because he wasn't a Jedi anymore when he became... Because he was Sith? When he became a Sith. So maybe to be a Jedi ghost, you become the image of what you were when you were last a Jedi. You know what? You sold me. I buy it. Oh, I love when I win. It's it's not a competition. (laughs) I'm just agreeing. That's a good idea. No, I just like when I say smart things on the podcast. You always say smart things. (laughs) In terms of budget, this one was 32.5 to 42.7 million. So I'm not 100% sure what the what that range is for they probably ran over so i'd imagine the first number is what they were granted and then they ended up going over and as usual yeah <laughs> um i definitely think that this one looks a little bit more expensive it does it looks it looks really good like they're fully like with the first movie george lucas didn't have a lot of like 
ability to go all out. The second movie, they could tell they'd, like, loosen the reins a little bit. And then the third movie, he got to create exactly what was in his brain, I think. And he, he didn't have any limitations or restrictions on himself. Oh, is that what's, why it's the worst one? It's not the worst one. Oh, isn't it? Okay, sorry. I like this one. <laughs> it's a very good movie. I think of the trilogy, it is the weakest. But that's like saying... Well, this is the worst peanut butter cup. Like, it's still a peanut butter cup. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's still a Star Wars movie. I think it's so funny um, that there are things that are really iconic that are really only in the movies for f- five to 20 minutes. Or some things that aren't ever mentioned in the movie, but we talk about them all the time. Like Ewok, AT-AT. Those things are never said in the movies. No. We just know them. They're just part of the culture. Yes. Yeah. The like the greater Star Wars like universe. What were you thinking of? So I was thinking of In a New Hope where Leia has the like cinnamon bun hair, basically. Right. She only has that for a very short period of time in this movie, but it's such an iconic look. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that um, reminded me of it was the metal bikini when she's at Jabba the Hutt. Right. And it's like, these things happen for like 10 minutes, and they've become such a huge thing in like the fan culture. Yeah, well, just look at Boba Fett. Who is everyone's favorite character for some reason. <laughs> he has one line and then he falls into a Sarlacc pit. Yeah. Like he's not any good, but everyone's like, oh, we love him. He's the greatest ever. We demand movies of just him. Yeah, I, I don't think that he's a developed enough character to deserve his own movie. Yeah. Lando, though. Yeah, I'd watch a Lando movie. Lando sounds great. I want to know more about Cloud City or whatever it's called. Yeah, and Lobot. And Lobot. This one definitely seems the most modern of all of them. First of all, in the visuals, like you were saying, it's the the latest one, so things are the most polished in yes. it. It's faster paced yeah. than the other ones. You can tell that they kind of hit their stride with this one. Oh, see, I was saying that all of these things are made it worse. <laughs> oh, no, I think they're great. I think the faster pace, I don't need a faster pace. I think the first... One was great. It's the slowest of the three. But then Empire, I think that's where it hits its stride and where it's perfect. And this one, it was a little too quick. And we don't get as much character stuff as we do in something like Empire. And it also is the happiest one, of course, because it ends in a everything works out. And then you have to do things like, oh, and now she's in a sexy outfit. So that's (laughs) what makes it feel very modern to me of these things that I didn't need. Right. But here they are. I think a lot of those things that you mentioned make the movie more appealing to me. That makes sense. I enjoyed, because um, we're three movies in now, or we're four hours into the six-hour movie, um, which is how it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we don't need to go slow and learn about all the characters, because we've learned about these characters. We know who Luke is. We know who Han is. We know who Leia is. And there's just new characters coming in that come in and out so quick that they don't need as much character development. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I didn't find that the pace really took away from it. From I don't think it took away from it either. I just appreciated it more in the first two because there was more time spent on perhaps relationship stuff than yeah. there was on action. Right. I enjoyed the action. Yeah, and I think... Th- there's like a balance and this one is probably the most action heavy and maybe the first is the lightest and mm-hmm. I think the middle is the the perfect balance for me. Oh, okay. 
So you got that sweet hoth scene, but then you got all of those emotions too. Yeah. I felt like we'd already seen their, like, for example, we'd already seen um, Leia and Han's relationship develop. But I want to see more. I know you want to see I just want more. them to be together and to be happy. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Wait, what? What happens to them? They live happily ever after, right? Yeah. Forever and ever. Why are you looking like that? You know something. <laughs> I know nothing. Uh, so I have very few notes for this one again. So the first thing is, why did they build robots so that you can torture? Remember when they're torturing yeah, robots? Yeah, that was odd. Yeah. Because I feel like robots are specifically like untorturable. No, they were burning his feet with hot pokers. They don't that was have sad. nerves. They have circuits. Pain circuits. Pain circuits. Well, that's the first thing they should take out when they rebuild those robots is the pain circuits. Then this one had that big dance CG number that was terrible. Worst. I know everyone complains about like, oh, they changed these things. And for the most part, I'm like, yeah, but it's not that obtrusive. This is. This is. um, It's so dumb. Yeah. It doesn't look like the rest of the movie because nobody's happy and dancing and singing and like. Well, there was somebody that was singing in that scene. Yes, but, but it, it was a. It wasn't type. like a fun. It wasn't Broadway. Like this. No, it was musical dance scene where everyone gets up and starts like going. It's it's someone who's being forced to sing for Jab of the Hut, and it felt very much like that. Yeah, that one. No apologies. That is terrible. Agreed. I also wrote down for the first time in this th- series, some things are dumb. There's like a bunch of dumb stuff happening. Like what? Like those guards in Jabba's palace, the big pig ones when they're like squealing around, the CG dancer, singer, the robot torturing. And there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, I don't need this. There's a more aliens doing little improv bits like I hated in the prequels. Right. In the Jabba's palace sequence, when Luke comes in, you get a good bit of that kind of stuff. Right. Do you remember when R2-D2 was serving up drinks and what we called him? Bar-2-D2. Bar-2-D2. <laughs> Hilarious. So good. Good one, Andy. So how did Luke get a new lightsaber? He built it. How? Uh, From a kyber crystal. How do I not know about how lightsabers are built? Because it's not in the movies. But okay. But then like super nerds. So it's not just like I'm not just not paying attention. Right. No. No, he loses that first one. Yeah. I hope it comes back sometime. I guess we'll see. We'll see. And he builds this green one at some point. Uh, There's talk of different colors meaning different things. We don't need to get into all of that. But the lore goes, and I'm sure you super nerds out there will correct me. But you go, you find one of these crystals, and you have to build it yourself. And that's one of the kind of tests or trials of a young Jedi before they become a jedi right is to build their own lightsaber that sounds fun and then the sith like bleed their crystals and get all the blue or green out of it and uh make them red red is there a purple lightsaber mace windu had a purple one who's mace windu uh sam jackson oh okay he had a purple one because he asked for a purple one so he'd stand out in fight sequences and then they're like yeah sure he's the only one that has a purple one i think i had a purple lightsaber at some point Oh, when you were a Jedi. When I was Jedi, yeah. And you were a Padawan. Yeah. Padawan is such a cute word. It is. It's a good name for a puppy. <laughs> it reminds... Yeah, well, let's get a puppy and name him Padawan. Okay. We call him Patty for short. A little quirky named Padawan? <gasps> yes! Oh my god, he'd be so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I love 
stop it. <laughs> He's so stupid. <laughs> or a cat named Yoda. Also that. And that'll be for our other podcast. Corgi time with Sam and Indy. I was going to call it the Corgi cast. Oh, Corgi cast. I bet that's already a thing. Oh, it sure it is. I like when we see Luke and he's wearing all black and he's confident now because that's not a Luke we had seen before. No, he really comes into his own in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's a real badass. Is Luke a a heartthrob? Oh, no. Yeah, okay. Is he supposed to be? Well, he looks very different after the first movie because he, he had a lot of uh, a surgery because he was in a in a really bad car wreck and had his face reconstructed. For real? Yeah, don't you notice how like from part one to part two he looks so different? Yeah, but I thought it was just like he got like you know he just aged like man face. Yeah, he no, just he became um, a man. He got a lot of uh, work done because oh. because his face was smashed up. Interesting. Yeah. So he ages so much, and then Leia does not at all. Yeah, she's so beautiful. I just want more Leia. More Leia. All the Leia. I want a Leia movie. Well, we were talking about the the growing up Leia movie. Yeah. That would be a pretty good one. I want a full Leia movie. If Han Solo gets a movie, Leia should get a movie. True. Although I think because of Han Solo's movie, a lot of those other ones are not happening because that was the first Star Wars movie that was not really successful. It was kind of dumb. Yeah, it was kind of dumb. <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but it sure wasn't good. I'm surprised like, like that it didn't do well money-wise because I felt like at that point I was seeing them because it was another Star Wars movie. I think they reached the saturation point of like, we were good when we were getting one every couple of years, but at this point, it was, like it was every probably Christmas the for... fifth year in a row of like a Star Wars movie and people right. were like, yeah, we're done. And it also was not a very good one. And you were losing, like, loyalists because people were changing things. You were losing your casual viewer because you had to be kind of... In the world. In that world and follow everything up. And it was just kind of also not a good movie. It's a perfect storm for not to do well, I think. I don't really know. That's my theory. One thing I don't like about this one is that their big plan at the end of it is... Remember that plan from the first one? Let's try it again. They're just building another Death Star. Yeah. But this time they just put a hatch on top of the one part where you can just shoot it and it blows up. Yeah, I feel like we should have learned, come on, Empire, learn um, from your mistakes and maybe look at those blueprints and be like, how did this blow up? Let's remove that thing. Or maybe not just a big giant planet that shoots other planets. Yeah. Because they won't do that idea again, huh? They used it twice in this trilogy. It's not going to come back or anything. It's never going to come back. That would be silly. Twice (laughs) is enough. But we haven't seen those movies, so we don't know. We actually haven't seen the newest one yet. We'll no. watch it before we do our next. Because we, we love to delay seeing a movie that's very popular and out at the current moment by watching every other movie that comes before it. Yeah, we, we need context. Did you like how Luke slowly pieces together the Leia is his sister, Vader is his father, like how that all works out? Yeah, I think so. Like, well, Vader tells him well, that yeah, he's no. his father. So it's like, yeah, he didn't piece together too much. But then he had to ask and get clarification. But no, it seemed fine to me. I do believe that that wasn't always the plan. If you look at the first ones, I don't think that he had it planned out that that was going to be the family. Right. I think that came about later, but I like it. I think it works great. I wish we yeah. got to see more of Leia and the Force. 
Yes, I would like to see more of that. But I guess it's not her story as much as it is Luke's, so we couldn't get all of that. But that's the one thing I would uh, criticize it about is because we kind of get a feeling that Leia has some force abilities in these she's ones. able to know that Luke's still alive and that he needs help. Yes. So I think that if we had seen a little bit more of her kind of discovering the force, mm-hmm. it would be good for the whole story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we were going to add anything into this third movie, that would probably be it. Or more baby Ewoks. Oh, it was so cute. I just want to snuggle all the Ewoks. But then they would stab you with a pointy stick. No, we would be friends first. I would They'd ask permission. Like, gotcha! Nom, nom. That's what Ewoks sound like. I like that. Ewoks sound. I feel like Endor would be a really fun place to go. It's like all tree houses and like... We have very indoor-like places right around here we could go to. But there are no Ewoks, however. See, that's what I... I haven't mean. seen any Ewoks. I'm not sure, but I don't think so. <laughs> I, uh, I require Ewoks. There might my... be Sasquatches. No, I want... Wendigos. Ewoks in my tree houses. That should be on a t-shirt. I want Ewoks in my tree houses. Yeah. So overall, Return of the Jedi, I was quite happy with the way that it kind of rounded out this series of movies this series of three movies i felt good about all of the kind of resolutions i felt like there was um good endings on most things um that were started in the beginning of this trilogy and were kind of brought to a close at the end i felt very good there wasn't really a whole lot that i was like hey well what what happens like what happens with them there's a lot of things either left open-ended that felt good open-ended and things that were kind of finished off and put away and i liked it the only little thing i wrote down here is I have like five lines here, and they're the exact opposite of what oh you just said. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> Remember that time we just made all of the opposite points? <laughs> so we agreed. We both saw the same thing. Yeah, we, we watched the movie together. But we both noticed the same thing yes. in it. We had different opinions about it. Okay. So what I wrote here that Lucas was looked incredibly reluctant to take any sort of chances with this movie. He shied away from anything darker or self-reflective and made it very easy to comprehend and didn't take any risks but went down a very familiar path for the audience. And the stakes for this movie were so big that he had to give a 100% reassuring wrap-up to everything and that's exactly what he did i would have loved to have seen things um stray from that to have some of that ambiguity because there was so much in this world of good versus evil and how people kind of slide along that path to have it end up in the all 100 percent everything good happy times was i realized what he had to do but i kind of wish it was not that far that way I appreciate that he wrapped everything up after this third movie because this storyline could have, like, I'm sure he could have made another movie or two out of this, like, specific storyline with these characters. I appreciate that he didn't because, like, movies that have, like, five or six sequels, I think that this was a really good natural place to kind of end this chapter of it. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I don't think that 
having Darth Sidious run off and be like, I'll get you next time. Like, I don't want something like that. But just having everyone clapping and chanting in trees was like a little too far. Like, I didn't feel like we need to go all that way. Oh, I liked it. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> You're right. It's pretty good. And me complaining about that is being nitpicky, though. It's a good movie. It is good. Don't get me wrong. Return of the Jedi is a very good movie. I do think it is my least favorite of the three, though. But still better than all of the prequels. Oh, yeah. Um, it was like 10 minutes into the into A New Hope. You were like, this is so much better than the prequels. Well, I was a little worried because after the prequels were so much worse than I remembered, I was worried that maybe Star Wars isn't that good. Is Star Wars bad? Maybe I was watching it as a teenager where everyone loves star wars so that's just what you do and i wasn't being very critical of it and now if i look at them critically they're only more impressive Mm -hmm. they're great on so many levels they're very good movies all three of these yeah (laughs) like i don't i don't have anything insightful to add to that i feel like should we rate them all since we did that for the first yes all right so a new hope 1977 Episode four, what do you give it out of 10? 7.5. 7.5? Yeah. Shit. (laughs) Nine. That's a nine out of 10. Oh, I was being conservative. Brilliant movie. Empire Strikes Back, 1980. A six. Six out of 10? Yeah. What? Okay, before I even grade anything, let's, let's break that down. Six out of 10, so it's just a slightly above average movie to you? Yeah. So looking at some of your scores here. Oh my god, I knew you were going to bring the other scores into this. (laughs) You gave Rent an 8. You think Rent is a better movie than Empire Strikes Back? No. Well then. Can I revise my ratings? (laughs) Of which one? Of uh, New Hope. 8.5. Okay. And then I think Empire Strikes Back is an 8. So it's as good as Rent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <Whew. laughs> I don't think there's a world where you can, like, rate Rent and Empire Strikes Back in the same category. What's your rating for Empire Strikes Back? Ten. A ten? That's a ten. Oh, wow. Is this I, your first ten? If we look at all of the movies we've talked about, maybe in the future I'll walk it back and be like, okay, it's a nine. But I'd given The Shining is a ten. Okay. Empire Strikes Back is right up there. It's maybe in the future I'll be like, okay, maybe I do like Blade Runner or Totoro better, but I can't see it right now. It's such a good movie. Empire Strikes Back, that's a 10. Uh, Return of the Jedi, 8.25. 8.25? Yeah. Okay, so yours yours are (laughs) a little harder. So walk me through all three again. A New Hope. 8.5. 8.5. So A New Hope's your favorite now. Yeah. But like two minutes ago, you said Jedi was your favorite. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Sorry. Okay. So 8.5, A New Hope. Okay. Empire Strikes Back is an eight. Okay. Um, Return of the Jedi is a nine. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I'm going with an eight for Jedi. Interesting. Still good. My least favorite of the three. So I go nine, ten, eight. I wish I had written down what we said in the first ones because I think I went two, four, five or something <laughs> i can't Two, remember what i said either well that brings us to the end of the original trilogy any final thoughts everyone should watch these at least once if yes. not three times 
I think they're um, something that I got different stuff from at different points in my life and really appreciated different things um, just based on like how old I was and, you know, how much life experience you have and stuff. I think different things stood out to me. What about you, Indy? Yeah, I think you definitely need to watch them, whether it's as a fan of film or just if you want to exist in this world, because yeah. they're so everywhere. Everything's there's there's definitely a now. base knowledge that you need to have. Even if you think like, well, Star Wars isn't my thing. I hear all those Star Wars nerds and I don't really want to watch it. They're just good movies. Mm-hmm. I think they go beyond what their genre is. And they're able to tap into like just straight up human emotion, which not all genre films can do. And these do that well. So I think you might be doing yourself a disservice if you think you know what these are and you don't want to watch them. The original trilogy is just great filmmaking. It's great storytelling. Yeah. So you should check it out. Everyone should do that. Well, now we are going to go into the next three. Are you excited? Yes. I'm excited to see how these all fit together. Because I think when I saw Seven, it had probably been 10 years since I'd watched a Star Wars movie. So I'm excited to have watched all, like, the first six and then go straight into Seven. I think it's going to be really interesting, the things that I pick up this time. Yeah, I'm really excited to see them again as well. Because Seven and Eight, I had seen once in theaters when each of them came out. And we haven't seen Nine yet either. So we're going to watch Seven and Eight at home. And then go watch Nine on the weekend. And then we'll report back to you. We have a timeline. I'm very excited. Yeah, let's go watch some Star Wars. Okay, let's go. Bye, everyone. Bye. He has a few notes, but he's very monosyllabic. Syllabic? Monosyllabic? Syllabic.